0: Hello, lovely Marv. Hello, Aidy. I've been besieged this week by people asking who's this really interesting AD? <laughs> and um No idea. <laughs> saying there's two people on the podcast, you know, and um I suppose they are the people that know me anyway. Right. But, but uh, uh people have been saying she's so interesting and she says things that we really want to hear. So that's Oh gosh.
1: Thank you, everyone. That's lovely.
0: I mean, I do think actually it may be also a slight reflection on the fact that they just thought that I would just blabber on ceaselessly. And the fact no. that actually I'm not a ceaseless blabberer in this context is is a good thing.
1: No, I I mean I, I like your blabber. thank you. I, I'm very glad to see your face and to hear your voice because it's been uh, it's been a hell of a week. Right. So this me. is this is a bit of a bright spot for me. I'm very tired. We've had uh me and the team have had a the team and i i should say have had a particularly hardcore couple of weeks um with a great big project so if there are times where i don't make any sense i'm just very tired <laughs> well we could be uh we could you could get hr to pay
0: uh for this as a kind of decompressing session
1: therapy yeah yes as part of my enrichment and wellness yes
0: mm. yes
1: wellness now there's a mm. the thing <laughs> so um Last time, you said you were going to talk to me about limbic capitalism. Yes. Is that still true? It is still true. That's exciting. Um,
0: uh, Well, yes. um, The the amazing thing is, having said to people, people, a couple of people said, what are you going to be talking about next time? And um, I said limbic capitalism. And they said, could you try to be less, more any more annoying than you are, sort of thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) And... and, um, but but although I wasn't familiar until relatively recently, you know, we said we every week we try and think about something that we've learned recently, and um, yeah, I, you know, I've got some other fun facts about Catherine Howard, fifth wife of Henry VIII, which I've learned. Oh, lovely! Yeah, her boyfriend Culpepper, was her first cousin. Shock news! There's so much about her. Yeah. Um but anyway, but, but in, in a minute,
1: in a minute, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so I I've
0: got rather than, about rather Catherine. than talking entirely about Catherine Howard, um, I was um, really intrigued by this idea. I heard someone mention it um, on either a radio program or a podcast I was listening to, and I thought I'd, I'd look it up. And um, when you understand what it means, it makes perfect sense and seems like it is terribly true. So.
1: Yeah, Yeah. because after you mentioned it, because I I was a bit conflicted because I thought, shall I come into this having not looked at it at all? Yeah. So I can have a, you know, a real first glance impression. Or should I look at something, you know, and at least have an idea? So I did look up what it is. Yeah. And I am one. Yeah. I am a limbic capitalist. Definitely. Well, you see,
0: I decided, I decided that... A lot of stuff I read about it um, made it seem like it was an absolutely terrible thing. And yet, um, I think what it is, is it's it's just a new form of selling things. And, you know, when people in Mesopotamia put their beads out on a stall, sure. they didn't say, I must put the worst looking beads in them, you know, in the most obvious yeah. place. And and but but what I thought reading about it is perhaps we should discuss it how we
1: define it first. I, I think we should because people would be going, that's fine, but what is it, please? So I think it is um a
0: form of capitalism which is uses for marketing the understanding of our, our brain's reward system.
1: Yes. So uh, the definition that I read that made me go I'm a limbic capitalist. Yeah, <laughs> is um a, a form of capitalism which refers to the part of the brain that deals with pleasure and motivation. Yeah, cultivates our addictive behaviour and bad habits for profit. Mm. So yeah. again, that that does make it sound quite negative. Yeah, in a way. Um, and and I think we probably have to talk about whether capitalism. It is one of the great evils of the world. I personally don't think it is. No. I think that it's very complicated and I'm not an economist. No. Um, But I, I think that for societal growth, capitalism is really quite a good framework for allowing people and well i say families and empires but you know to me a kind of mm-hmm. um generational wealth i suppose but people to grow within a supportive system that can then also take care of people who are maybe not doing so well yeah uh, because the idea that there is that there is expansion i think that where modern capitalism finds its challenges and where people become disenfranchised with it is in that there was a period of enormous growth which Mm -hmm. has then rather complacently been taken to be the expectation and the norm yeah and I think it's in that expectation that it maybe finds its downfall or, or at least a downfall in how it's perceived yeah because you then you get this big gap right between the people that have acquired very much in the people that are struggling to acquire
0: yeah
1: now we do know that when people are put in the position where they can then acquire that their views on these things will change yes for example I was very much more socialist when I didn't have any money yeah <laughs> than I am now hmm. as somebody who is accruing some wealth and has some resource
0: yeah
1: because yeah, that my means... perspective on it is different
0: That makes makes perfect sense. I mean, I think one of the questions, though, I would ask, um, my favourite fact from economic history is one of the reasons, it's a theory, it's not a a fact, nothing in economics is anything more than a theory. Right, right, right. Um, One of the reasons why Britain, and in fact other European countries, but Britain even more, was able to to, um, uh, industrialise so rapidly in the 18th century is because women wore the same dresses for three generations right so it was the it was a the great the, the heyday and interestingly enough the design called the sack back dress which had loads of pleats at the front you could put on a different stomacher at the front but it didn't matter whether you were a size 18 or a size 8 you still fitted in grandmother's dress because right pleats at the back Yeah. And there is a theory that because they weren't frittering their money away on lots of these, by the way, were very expensive dresses to start with, but effectively became heirlooms. But they lasted a long time. So they lasted a very long time. So So that's
1: the um, Sam Vimes economic boots theory. Yes. In in a way, um, where the concept of uh, rich people can buy more expensive boots and therefore in the long run they spend less money on boots because poor people buy rubbish boots and then they wear out faster. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But so I suppose the question I would ask about the whole idea about um, a capitalism that understands the way we react very well Mm. is... Are we being diverted into frippery, whereas if not, uh, we would be doing other more sensible things with our money, or would we just be buying, which I suspect, a form of more low-tech frippery?
1: Complicated. Question then, for the women who wore the same dress for three generations, yeah, was that because they wanted to do that and that's the best model? Yeah. Or was that because there, there really wasn't much of another option because clothes are yeah. all custom made and therefore all expensive? Yeah, true. Yes. So then there's that kind of options thing. Yes. I, I think that today we maybe suffer sometimes from having too many options. Yes. I, well, we spoke in the first episode about convenience culture and I am a child of that. Yeah. You know, I do. Um, And God does marketing work on me. <laughs> a well-placed pretty package yeah. will part me from my money. Yeah. with astonishing speed so I think I think I've been in, in both positions and this is where you mustn't let me be too contrarian because I mm. can be in that I have um, given into frippery and spent money in a stupid way yeah that ultimately hasn't brought me much pleasure or value yeah in the long run I have benefited also from retail therapy
0: Yes. And yes. I have
1: been pulled out of, when I say dark places, that sounds really dramatic. But I, mm. I have um, added value to my life and cheered myself up immensely with the presence yeah. of a new thing. Now, yeah. new things shouldn't replace a healthy inner landscape, yeah. and a healthy inner life, because they mm. can't for more no. than five minutes at a time. And the result then is like hoarding debt. Mm whatever spiralling self-esteem you know there's all sorts Mm. of routes you can go with that but then I think there's also there there can be something really therapeutic and nice about just spoiling yourself a little bit.
0: Well it's it's interesting you say that because I very nearly left uni because I was so I was a year younger to start with and I don't think that was necessarily helpful because I was 17 and everyone was 18.
1: Oh and they could do things you just couldn't and
0: Uh, well no it was more the fact that I was I was 17 and I was from a very quiet area. I wasn't used to meeting people I didn't know. That, was, Got a, it. that okay. was the thing that really freaked me out. Okay, yeah, I understand um, that. I was very close to sort of leaving uni and I saw a pair of boots in a shop window. Right. And I thought to myself, these are, these are full price, quite nice boots, but it's fairly near the beginning of term. And if I carry on, I will get more money the next term yeah so i will be maybe able to survive here so i won't say the boots
1: kept me at uni but the thought they didn't hurt right maybe that was a bit of incentive or an um identity forming well what, what they
0: were was they were things i'd never worn at home so i wasn't saying oh my gosh this is the top I wore that time that Win's birthday party descended into a trifle fight. Right. Which was obviously a glorious moment that I couldn't help being um, nostalgic for. But the boots were new. And so, actually, they did get me. The boots, I walked the boots into the rest of my, right. rest of my time. And I
1: think, yeah, so that makes sense, because I, th- I think there can be something about a new item of clothing or a change that just um it assists in that transformational process yeah maybe helps you come out of the cocoon a little bit because I've experienced similar things um usually after transitional life events which is what going to uni and becoming used to talking to lots of different people is that's a transitional moment yeah you've gone from one state to another yeah um you know but I've probably we've probably all done this after a breakup where you change your hair yeah or you throw away your whole wardrobe and get all new clothes, and those mm-hmm. items are just things, but they are also a symbol of growth mm. and change in, in a yes. way that's quite important uh, and maybe without those without that image change, without that um, framework, you might not have such an easy time. So hang on a minute now we're getting to something really interesting. We're getting away from limbic capitalism. Well, no, point yes, out. but are we? Are we? <laughs> no, right? we're coming back. I'll come back because
0: the items that we buy are not all just rubbish. No, and you could argue that um, you could argue that one of the one of the problems, I think about our society is a lot of the time it is quite disembodied it's to do with just things that happen online or just ideas that aren't concretized and the stuff that you get tempted to buy because of the way the algorithm understands what it is that you want is real stuff and so you could argue that it serves a value because it ties you i mean look if it's advertising something that is actually bad for you yeah so it's advertising you know scotch or whatever and you're an alcoholic then that's obviously bad sure but but if it's um if it's advertising real world items in a kind of make believe world online i mean i've been i've been absolutely besieged by uh adverts for a new type of frying pan right i don't do much frying but my frying pan is 35 and actually gosh you know it is time to replace it but i take that image of that item and i imagine it in my life so what i'm saying is maybe maybe there isn't maybe the the things themselves
1: are morally neutral they are so that's what i was going to say because and it's, this is a this is a, a a fine line to tread about where the responsibility is because, for example, you mentioned an advert for Scotch. Now, most of the people who are going to buy that bottle of Scotch and enjoy it are not alcoholics. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to sit on someone's shelf for quite a long time. They're going mm. to have a glass every now and again, mm. or even a glass every Sunday. That's yeah. not alcoholism. It's a small percentage. So, where is the responsibility? to cater for who? So do you not advertise any scotch because of alcoholics? This this is actually... And I think that's where the limbic capitalism bit, because it says it cultivates our addictive behaviour and bad habits for profit. So I think it depends on the lens that you view it
0: through, doesn't it? Well, I was going to actually suggest that limbic capitalism may be just a challenge to character. Yes. And the answer, the response to Limbic capitalism is not to ban Limbic capitalism, but to try and ask yourself what about this could damage me, what can be beneficial to me, right. learn some discernment and also learn some backbone. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not going to go into it because it's a, a very tedious media scandal, but I was greatly taken. By listening to an interview with a well known celebrity this week.
1: Oh, someone yeah. who may have been in trouble?
0: Someone who, who may have, might have. Yeah, who may have been in trouble. And and this person, uh, Peter on, Schmofield or someone? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He, he described an incident where he quotes, he's saying, something happened. Yeah. Now, he wasn't in any way, I don't think, implying that he was assaulted.
1: Right.
0: He meant I did something. Right. Yeah. But he didn't say I did something. He said something happened. So it's passive. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is if we are active about the development of our own characters. Yeah.
1: Okay. But so that's we... like instead of saying I bought something, it's like saying it was sold to me. Yes, exactly. It like, exactly, removes exactly. the responsibility for that thing. Exactly that. So, so...
0: um it's up each one of us. This time of year, uh, the algorithms know that I'm going to be going to the Nationalist Edward, and they're going to know that I w- I want some nice dresses, right? Sure. I don't always buy myself a new dress for the but I quite often do. First, first week in August, it it's it's there's usually at least a couple of nice days. So,
1: You're quite right. It's a big deal, isn't it, the Edward? Yeah.
0: So I get um a lot of adverts at this time of year for the sort of dress that I would like to buy for the Stever. Now it is up to me and not up to that company to contextualise that. Right. Because if you're not a spendaholic, then that's quite helpful. Yeah. And so I'm saying to myself, right, um, looking at my income going into the beginning of August, looking at other things I want to do, you know, during this time, um, Would I be better off spending some more money on dresses or would I be better off spending more money actually on events, at least ever when I get there? Yeah. So it's up to me. So my point is, limbic capitalism makes me the offer, but limbic capitalism does not know the full context of my life. No. So it is up to me. Otherwise, I'd just say the dress was sold to me, you
1: know. And you have the ability to say no. And I think this is the difficult thing when we talk about addiction. And it's really important to have empathy for addicts. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you just need to not, because Mm -hmm. clearly, psychologically, it's all a bit more complicated than that. And there are lots of things that go into whether someone's going to become addicted to something or not. um, In their wider life, in their predispositions, in in the situations in which they've encountered this thing, Whatever it is. I mean, people get addicted to ironing or whatever. It doesn't mm. have to be drugs or a substance or something. But I think the it's the difference between accountability and responsibility. Yeah. So I think that vendors, companies, corporations have a responsibility to not act in a way that puts people in direct risk. Yeah. But also the people receiving goods, adverts, whatever it is, have the accountability for their actions within that. Yes. So that just because something is presented to you, yeah. the power to not buy it or not do it or not engage with it, mm. addiction, whatever aside, is still with that individual. Yes, yes. And if and, someone wants not to enough, they can. And, and the principle of, of
0: capitalism is that, Companies are there to maximize profit. Yeah. And I know this might be a very, um, call a, 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 a bit of a controversial thing to say. No, stop. Yeah. But <laughs> if I'm a shareholder in a company, I want their main focus to be to make profits. Yes. Now, let's say uh, the company deals in Tasmanian. Um, palm oil and they're cutting down forests and so the wombat of tasmanian wombat is at risk right yeah i don't particularly want the company to make the the tasmanian wombat extinct i'd like them to think of a new way of keeping up profits whilst not making the wombat exactly so so this is not a kind of anti-wombat crusade i'm talking about no no i didn't think if my pension relies on them turning over a profit of X, yeah, and they turn around and say to me, for the sake of the wombats, we're reducing your pension by seventy-five percent, yeah, I am less interested in the wombat than I than sure. I was. before.
1: and you'd and have so, to be in a hell of a cushy financial situation to say by to by all means prioritize the wombat. Exactly, and so You're what right. I'm saying is
0: one of the things that I think. The, um, the critique of that capitalism it's not only just you know we should respond to it by building ourselves up to fight it mm. if you like or to put it in a place where it should engage rise. with it appropriately engage. yeah exactly but the second thing is what do we think a company is damn well there for anyway you know right so so <sighs> if i wanted my views about something to be shaken to the core, I probably wouldn't watch a razor advert. No. Yeah? maybe they want to say something. Obviously, you want to want to be inclusive and to show all types of situations, etc., etc. But when it comes to actually proselytising and changing people's views, uh, let's say about the wombat, yeah, yeah, I don't mind if they stop that and save the wombat. But I don't really want them. To now be telling everyone about how nobody anywhere needs to do anything along those lines, right, because I don't think it's their job, I think that's and 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 I wonder whether, as we expect to get more and more a moral guidance from a company, which I don't yeah, but that's kind of the way it goes.
1: What have we got governments for, sure. I think that's an interesting point as well between the role of government and the role of companies in setting precedent and policy, and I think that we're seeing situations where those two are overlapping. Yeah, and I think that that's part of that shareholder effect in the you know the financial um, gains and situations that people are in will influence how they act. So yeah. our government could have done similar to the French yeah and could have capped energy prices yeah didn't yeah now I'd like to bet that that's because there are a lot of people sat on boards yeah that are also in the house of lords and it rhymes so it's Mm. true Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) incontroversible fact but it's not a stupid hunch right no um because totally take your point about not expecting moral guidance from companies but I think there's an exception for some companies such as an energy supplier who supplies energy to the rich and the vulnerable alike and does have the power to put people in a situation where this winter they may freeze to death yeah now prices are coming down a bit sure but not to where they were no and we also then hear about these companies turning over record profits yeah so it wasn't as if the war in Ukraine or Brexit or whatever else yeah. caused a situation where they had to put prices up to that level so that yeah. everyone could keep their jobs. That's yeah. very different. Yeah. That was about shareholder greed. Yeah. And that because we can sort of mentality. Yeah. And, and on a moral level, I, I object to that.
0: See, hugely. now this this raises another very interesting subject, which is that are we And I I don't know where I stand on this, but I just just bear with the um, big retailers that we have in Britain are almost all um, owned by shareholders and by effectively big pension funds and so on, insurance companies and so on. Yeah. The continental retailers, Aldi and Lidl, for example, they're owned by one family. Right. Now. The continental retailers think that 0.75% return on profit is adequate, so they pay their farmers more and they the consumers pay less, which is right because because the family is rich enough. Yeah. On the other hand, because of the way uh, you know a British company is 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 funded, they're obliged to get. I think the ter- the, I, the the last time I looked, it was nearly five percent. Right yeah which is five times larger, so obviously they pay their farmers less and their their consumers pay more, right yeah, also they pay their workers less, right now maybe it always seems better to me that all of us can own a big company with our pension funds, yeah, that always seems morally a better thing, yeah, but then I think to myself. Am I prepared to pay the extra five pence on my yoga that so so what I'm saying is are there aspects of the way that our system works that just means that it's means that it's expensive
1: way of doing business and maybe there are other ways of doing it yeah it's it's very very complicated because the point about pensions is is important because impacts a huge threat of people yeah absolutely exactly and their future security and that's how economics is so well why economics is so difficult because it's it's one it's an onion problem yeah you can't apply a slogan to it or or one fix because there's a knock-on effect down the line that you have to consider as well i think that it's important to consider the concept of how much money is enough Yes. And I'm conflicted again with myself there because I I believe in personal freedom. Mm. So if someone goes and makes a billion pounds, then okay, good. But I I think that they on one hand, I think that they should be able to do that because that's what freedom is. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I I think that, well, no one is ever going to need that much money. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at that point, that could be siphoned off to go and do some other good. But then I also think, well, who am I to say what that is?
0: Yeah, well, this is this is the point, and and one of the things that's interesting, um, in in a way, or I think it's interesting, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who works for um, an organisation that promotes altruism, effective altruism, okay. and the whole idea of altruism is far more embedded in American society than it is in ours, and. Um, I was thinking you know this all sort of does spin out from the limbic limbic capitalism, so I get i I, I pay into a wine club I pay ten pound a month oh and every now and again they they remind me that I've actually got you know one hundred and forty quid in there and I could buy myself the best box in the house so you know so I do right and they have recently started sending me pictures inviting me to take part in a third world anti-child hunger project, which is almost identical to one I already support. Yeah. So I said to them, can you stop sending me this? Yeah, because I already support another thing that does this, I believe, slightly more cost-effective. Than the charity that you've chosen. And this gets back to my idea about um, I go to that company for good quality wines at a relatively good price. Okay. Yeah. I do not go to them for third world activism because I know where to go for third
1: world activism. Well, and you can seek it out yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so.
0: It's not as if they what they're doing is not particularly controversial. It's not as if they're supporting something that I disapprove of because, you know, whatever. But they're just doing something. They're asking me to do something I already do. And and I suppose I would, in a way, prefer if limbic capitalism helps people to tone down, to hone in their offer, not to, to hone in their offer. So they say, here's a woman who wants wine but already pays into a third world hunger charity, yeah, they will stop annoying me with requests for money for a charity. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So actually there's some benefits to the idea of, of a very individualised capitalist
1: Oh, no, there are. Because, because I would also wonder about – and this is where I'm going to sound very uncharitable because yeah. I'm sceptical a lot of the time about charities hmm. – And how much money actually gets for the place that it needs to go. So then I wonder, what's the relationship between the charity and the wine company? Yeah. Why are they promoting this thing? Yeah, Now, it could be that they've got someone on the board that's really passionate about it and trying to do a lot of good. Okay, fantastic. Love it. Is there also a taxing
0: involvement, maybe? (laughs) I mean, I had a really interesting conversation when there was an article in the paper and... It listed the salaries of CEOs of charities. And one of them was a charity I supported. And I thought he was on too much money. Then that's one of my problems, yeah. So I sent them an email. And to my immense delight, the phone went almost immediately. Wow. And they said, we need to talk to you about this and let us explain to you what we are, what, what our thoughts are. Um, I said, why are you paying this man X? And he said, well, we are assuming that the person who does this job is a senior person, whether male or female, and that they have family responsibilities. And we want them to be able to, for example, afford a three bedroom house we think that's reasonable i said yeah actually now you say it like that i do think it's reasonable um why are you in london i said well they said we tried to move to birmingham and because the um our ceo had to commute so much to speak to ministers to talk to him about famine relief and the things that we were doing yeah it actually cost us a lot more okay And so I said, yeah, but how did you come on this level? And they said that this, that that they had set the salary of their CEO at the the average um, salary for a Catholic school headmaster in London. And I said, do you know what? I'm going back to supporting you again because that is a rational way. You're saying... He's a chief executive of a of a major charity that turns over tens of millions of pounds a year, yeah. And you think he should be paid roughly the same as a headmaster, and with a house that he can keep, uh, he, uh, or she can mm. keep her family in. And yeah, what was interesting to me about that was the immediate response from me was, "Hang on a minute, I'm paying a lot of money to someone who's earning more than I do, yeah." But when I stated my case I was given a good rational answer and I yeah. uh, they won me round and
1: um, and it's one of it's that thing isn't it where I think sometimes it's, it's easy to look at someone who's earning enough to afford a three-bedroom house and go well they shouldn't be on that much whereas actually what it highlights is that everyone else's wages should be higher yes exactly exactly and if that's what it takes to afford a very ordinary size house yeah then that's where we should be benchmarking wages not pulling yeah. people down yes to yes. meet subsistence level and, Which is and, where a lot of people are in, you know, ordinary jobs. And I did
0: think that. I mean, obviously, I'm a headmaster's daughter myself, so I think, yeah, and a Catholic, a so job. that yeah, could have yeah, could have yeah, helped yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, and I also like the fact that it was the average, because sure. I looked it up afterwards, and there are head teachers earning 50 percent more than him. Okay. Um, and according to the size and complexity of the task, but my point is really, my point is, um. I sort of agree with you that we are third sector. Mm. I go a little bit when we know all, I'm not saying that charities are bad, far from it. And I do certainly support charities myself, but I know that there are some charities which are better
1: run than others. Yes. But that will be the case with anything, won't it? But there are certain NHS trusts that are run better than others. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: But I just wonder whether there isn't a lack of scrutiny sometimes because it's a third set, because it's like, um, so if you have a charity that's being very, very badly run, it's got to be absolutely ridiculously badly run for anyone to look look twice at it.
1: Is that because you think it's because of the subject matter it ends up a bit
0: sacrosanct? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, someone will say, and I've actually you know, seen meetings where this has happened where someone said, Do we need fifteen small charities doing the same thing here? Yeah. Um. And then and someone says, Yeah, but it's for the children. And so you basically have a choice. You can do what I would do in this instance, which is say, Yeah, look, I'm on Herod's side here. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna do the anti child thing. I'm gonna say we don't need 15 small charities, maybe three would do. Yeah. And um but then they go, but all of this is, yeah, I'm not saying the work is bad, but I'm saying that the structure doesn't work and is expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I saw very good, very thorough, thorough thinking people being shut down yeah. by someone saying, oh, it's for the children. Yeah.
1: You know, or it's yeah. And then, the then how dare you uh, it's imply children. that it could be done better. It's for the climate. It's for the climate. Right. It's, it's it's for the wallabies or whatever it is. So I suppose it, what you then say is yes and I'm suggesting we organise things better for the children.
0: Yeah, exactly. 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 Sure. Um but but I do think there is that element, um I, I think it was if I was if I was editor of a newspaper, it's one thing that I would say I want to see some more scrutiny of, please chaps. I want okay. to see you guys looking at how because actually um if if I was to gain some public money from uh, 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 the government, how I spent it would be very carefully watched. Yes. If, I gain, if I do that, if they spend it directly, they get very carefully watched. If they spend it via a charity, they often get much less carefully watched. Right. And I don't think that makes sense, if it's public money in the first case.
1: Agreed. So, limbic capitalism, I think we probably think it's Okay. I think we probably think it is okay, but we need. I think we probably be, think it's
0: okay. We need to be um, standing up for it and standing. Self awareness is the thing, isn't yeah. it? Being able
1: yeah. to engage with it when you want to, and disengage when it's not appropriate yes. or it doesn't serve you. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So let's have a bit of Catherine Howard, and then I'm going to talk to you about lying. All right.
0: Okay. Um, so the two things about Catherine Howard: one was that her father went bankrupt and had to run away to
1: Calais. She was brought up in a kind of um, odds and sods boarding house for nobility castaways, wasn't she? Yes, yes. Which apparently was pretty wild, even by Love Island standards.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, But I thought it was very interesting that the chap that she then writes love letters to, you know, after she's married and she's sort of seeing him in some backstairs in York or something, which. Oh, in the loo. What,
1: they used to go to the privy or something. Yeah, and, something like that. Yeah. Which that's... is what I mean. Airplane toilets is one thing now, but back then. Oh, imagine, she must've really liked him. Yeah. But, but it, it turns out that he was her, that, that she,
0: he was her cousin. And I wondered whether, cause she said, she said, oh, we didn't actually do what we thought we did. We just sort of talked and things. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that she didn't get up to naughty stuff, but I think it, it makes it a different kettle of fish that she what, she was so keen on this one person, if he was her cousin, because maybe in a world where you couldn't rely on anybody, in a very backstabbing kind of weird world, there was someone here who at least was a bit familiar.
1: Yeah, I think regarding the intimacy part, it's possible she was just trying not to have her head cut off. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and a bit like last time in the terrorism episode, I mean, if you w- say whatever you have to, to not have your head cut off, I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Um, priorities. It ties into what I'm going to say about lying, actually. I think also it's important. It's interesting what you say about the familiarity aspect. Yeah. I think that could be a thing. I think it could also be a thing that in the, amongst the nobility, a degree of incest was a bit more normalised. Yeah. Yeah. That they were, there was, you know, the keeping the bloodlines pure thing. I don't think we'd fully discovered exactly what happens to a human chin. No. If you keep going on with that for long <laughs> enough. So yeah. it is possible as well that, you know, that because there were family members marrying each other all over the show, weren't yeah, there? there were. There were. And so
0: maybe, um, but then you see, I, I remember drink having taken talking uh, uh, in some a company uh, with some friends and talking about. Not marrying cousins in front of a friend of mine who did marry a cousin, and um, and it has worked out brilliantly for them. So, well, and, and and she turned around and said, Mum, you married a stranger, how did that work out? And I'm like, you Haven't really got
1: an argument considering how that worked out. Yeah,
0: hands up, hands up. She said, I knew what I was getting myself into, you fair in I, a way, I, and I thought it was. It was
1: harsh but fair. I took that on the on the side a little, of- yeah, a little. But I mean, the truth, is the truth. Um, um, yeah. So, so that, it is interesting. I think I I've always felt terribly sorry for Catherine Howard.
0: Yeah.
1: I think she was well compared with him, very very young. Yeah. I mean, by any standards, modern standards, very very young. I think that she kind of tried to have everything, and it didn't pay off. Yeah. I think she probably found herself in a situation because by the time. Henry VIII marries Catherine, Catherine the Second. Catherine, he was gross. Yeah, I mean, he was. He had that stinking sore on his leg. This was post head injury. So we know from the histories that after his head injury, that's when the personality changes and yeah. the the general tendency towards wife murder. Yeah, <laughs> really I kicked agree. in yeah. and murder of lots of people. I mean, his reign was infinitely bloodier after the head mm. injury. So and i think she probably found herself in a very desperate situation and and there was that clutch for balance because yeah. as much as they had killed one queen killing a queen of england that was still like the one yes so so maybe she kind of thought that wouldn't happen to her yeah
0: yes well i think i think certainly in terms of what he left behind in terms of of of, of records and so on he was extremely keen on her as 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 old men may well be. Well, or, I mean,
1: she was gorgeous, she, wasn't she? Exactly so, that.
0: but but the other thing that I learned about that time, which was very interesting, is that um, after she was beheaded, um, he had to issue a public statement to say Anne of Cleves was not pregnant by him. So she probably was then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Anne. Of, it appeared that even after that. There was a strong rumor saying, "Do you know what? He he actually should maybe think about going back to Anne of Cleves." And so
1: they maintained a friendship. They maintained a friendship, and they did. And, and so Anne of Cleves came out of everything sort of fairly well. Yes. Um, I think that there's something about this story as well that, and, and I do think his head injury had a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think he also potentially had syphilis, but that's a whole different yeah, yeah. That's different thing. another
0: podcast. Different,
1: different, different debate, and and how we can't know. Yeah, but if behaviour goes enabled and unchecked, yeah, I think it just shows exactly how extreme humans can get. Yes, when they've got people around them who, by the letter of the law, can't oppose what they do, yeah, and that's a very dangerous system. And and, and I maintain,
0: for what it's worth that that was Catherine of Aragon's great fault. Yes, she didn't provide a child, but she also told him when he went wrong. And so that,
1: scared of him, But that's because they'd had, from what I can tell from the histories and the records, a fairly normal marriage. Yeah, they had. And of course, they were married.
0: They were married long from, time. for longer. He was married longer to Catherine of
1: Aragon. I think maybe even twice as long as all his other wives put together. Sure. And I think for quite a long time was fairly happy with his daughter i think there was a bit of a midlife crisis potentially about all that thinking god i haven't got a legitimate son here um i think you know henry fitzroy helped with that for a little bit when the arrival of the illegitimate child you know he could still provide a son so that assuaged the ego oh it's not about me it's her Uh, and i for what it's worth i think he loved her but i i think that um the pressure of that role yeah, made things get out of control yeah. and I, I think they're just a misunderstanding about human reproduction but yeah, they didn't absolutely. know that actually that's just a lotto and you get what you're given yeah absolutely and it's not a judgment in any way well on a woman because we don't get to decide no. Um, you get what you get uh, but that's where I, I wonder about the syphilis because Anne and Anne Boleyn, Catherine of Aragon, mm. both had one healthy child yeah. and a bunch of miscarriages afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, Anne wasn't around long enough for us yeah. to find out what would happen to her in later age, yeah. but Catherine of Aragon had a pretty awful death and was ill for a very long time. True. There are accounts of Thomas Cromwell of, you know, watching, you know, jars of vomit get ushered out quite quickly yeah. when people came into the room. So she was degenerating. Now, some of that might be a lack of care in the drafty old castle she was yeah. in, but, but some of that could have yeah. also been that disease that's been handed down. Yeah. Um and of course the rest we don't find out about. I mean, the final wife, I'm going to say probably never did have sex with him because I think by then he wasn't in any fit state. Yeah. yeah. He was quite ill by by you know, the last one. So and of course Anne of Cleve's escaped fairly unscathed. And yeah, therefore was it's able a very to good remain point.
0: close. So very that's a very good point. Bo- I mean, I was uh, listening, funnily enough, to a, 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 an audiobook book about, uh, uh, about this sort of stuff, uh, which is the kind of thing I always do. And there's always something more to be learned. And yeah, oh yeah. And um, apparently the autopsy on Catherine of Aragon was rushed and her heart, when it was removed, was black. Right. And this was thought to be potentially a, a sign of poison. Right. Um, I did have a moment, which I will just share with you guys now. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you, you, Amy, and the whole podcast. It was, it was the uh, ambassador from the Emperor, Ernest who who is a character I've always liked. Oh, I like <laughs> Chapuis a lot. Yeah, I, yeah, knew, I, was, I know he
1: was a bit of a meddling git in some ways, but I have always admired his support of Mary. And, and he, But he, he had written down the
0: details of this autopsy And I suddenly thought, is this not a great historical detective series? Could Chapuis be investigating murders at the Tudor court?
1: Amazing. I think you should write it. He could also have been completely full of it. Yeah, yes. Because he did also chat a great deal of nonsense about Anne Boleyn. Yes. he. I mean, he obviously had his own views. Oh, he, he was playing the, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, and Catherine was very much his queen. He wasn't yeah. a big fan of Anne, who he called the concubine. Yeah. Um, he was pretty vocal and actually did quite well at court for having been that vocally yeah. opposed to her. Because, you know, that that could have gone very differently for him. So in a way, he was kind of quite a brave guy. And he and did... because he kept his position too. So okay, he was an ambassador, so that's not entirely within Henry's control. But he could have been banned. I think was he banned at one point? I can't remember. No, but he, he there were things he wasn't allowed to do. But that's I, it, yeah. I, but he, so he found it. He got in trouble, didn't he? Yeah, he got but, in trouble. But yeah. I I
0: like the idea that he was there at the court and that he had this kind of scientific. He he was he wasn't going to accuse anyone of poisoning the queen, it but he still thought, hang
1: on a moment,
0: until he had some evidence and. And so I thought, oh, hang on a minute, is Chapuis...
1: Infe- all? That, I mean, I think you should write it. I think that sounds great. And, and oh my good yeah, like a kind of um, Tudor Scooby-Doo. Yeah, exactly. It would be awesome. Uh, if she was poisoned, that was a long poisoning. Yeah. Because she was ill for a very long she
0: time. She was ill for a very long time. But,
1: but I feel sorry for her. I think that, that it's, a, it's a very bitter life that she ended up with Uh, Mm -hmm. and the sense of unfairness must have been so enormous. I mean, one thing I think, though, about Catherine of Aragon, which I think
0: possibly if I were Catherine of Aragon, I would would kind of take a lot of um, comfort in, she had only to step out of her front door. And a thousand peasants would come from nowhere and say, tis a good queen, the queen we love, right? Oh, I yeah. Imagine, I imagine that must have been, you know, if you're trying to decide whether you're doing the right thing or not, and you're under enormous pressure, um, the fact that the common people, um, you know, are very keen on you. Must have been a great help. But anyway, no. So that was my that was my point about.
1: My... I think I think it would be tough to watch your
0: daughter disinherited. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That would be very hard. And, um, I mean, I, I, you know, this is something that you know I'm I'm broadly obsessed with. I can't imagine. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious now that. Partly through the archaeological record, but partly also due to um, more documents coming forward and so on, that at the time the Reformation happened, there were very, very few people on the side of it. Right. Right. And although, I mean, people have said it's a bit like Brexit, and, and in some senses, I, I know, I know, I know why they say that. But if your whole way of being is to do with a set of views that you've always held, and everyone you know has always held. It's nobody. It's not like there's a few people down the road who are Unitarians, and then there's a there's a thriving Muslim community up the road. It's not like that at all. Everyone you've ever met and everyone you've ever heard of thinks like this. Then, within three years, you are told that an awful lot of that is not true. Yeah, and, and and. You know, the, 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 I liken it to what would happen if the—I mean—the monasteries. Um, imagine if the NHS was knocked down, and in yeah. three years' time, we were watching people take take the um, take the light fittings out, right? And put them in, and put them in a new. Oh, this is hospital hall. I've built right. hospital hall with the bits taken out of the old hospital, right.
1: Yeah? What the hell would you have been thinking? Oh, it's incredible. So I I find um, that 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 period of history particularly exciting. I mean, the the printing press, of course, did a lot for society. The printing yeah. press was basically the iPhone, yeah, of back then because we can get a lot of words out very very quickly. Whereas previously it was just a dude, yeah, copying. Yeah, I think that the Bible in English would have been a bit like Brexit. Either you are finding it so exhilarating. or you are terrified because everyone is about to find out that paying to have your sins absolved isn't in the book yeah yes and I think that there there would have been well we know there were a a great number of liberties Mm. taken by some members of the religious community of course I think that kind of a bit like you know, you know like police get a bad rap. whereas I yeah. think most people probably join the police to do good and then you get some bad apples yeah, yeah. I think uh, most yeah, people uh, join the clergy to yeah. do good and then you get that guy that's like oh here's something I can control yes yes, and then they could exploit the fact yes. that people didn't understand or people couldn't access that text yeah. necessarily because of course if you were I mean the, the middle class was emerging by that point so if you were middle class and above you probably did have access to the latin yeah. If if you were a poor person, you had English and French at a push, hmm. and and maybe understand a bit, but yeah. but not enough to kind of understand the difference between what's in the text and what you're being told. Yeah. And we know there was a big gap. Yeah. I mean, we know there's a big gap today between the yeah, things yeah. that get um presented by religious figures and what's actually written down. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that you won't mind me saying that there's a lot of Christians behaving in a very Christ like way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But so 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 there's that so I think I think it must have been yeah either you were terrified like oh my god what goes on now or it it would have been so exciting I think I would have been on on the part of the excited because that then builds on the concept that we got from the black plague where the black death the, the bubonic plague where because of the shortage of religious figures people were there and given the power for a little while to absolve their own sins, yes. so I, I think that, that 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 Bible in English gave God back to the people, yeah and I, and I think that's important because i I think that's one of the key metaphors of the text, and that we're made in God's image. now you can see that different ways, right. and you and I have different views on it, and that's yeah. fine, but for me, it's like acknowledging the divine within yourself. And then yeah. really being able to access into the moral teachings of that text.
0: But it's very—I mean, I would say it's very interesting that, that you know we live in a society that doesn't believe in confession, but everyone's got an analyst. Sure. Or going to I a I mean, transplant. therapy is
1: confession. Therapy exactly. is confession. Exactly. And, and, and I think that that's—I I so I recently watched—can't um, remember what it's got. I can remember the Pope's Exorcist. Right. Which is a horror film starring Russell Crowe speaking. The most immaculate Italian. Oh, brilliant! I mean, I God, he's that. good, man. He's good. He started speaking, and I and I've done, I've been on some Italian language projects, yeah. and I was like, oh, that that is what it sounds like. That that, yeah. that that's legit. Um, and, and he's just brilliant in it. And there there's a whole. It, it talks a lot about confession, and I I actually quite like the way it explores the role of exorcism and 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 the therapeutic thing that that maybe can and should be, and it, it acknowledges the role of mental health in air quotes possession but I I think there's something important about confession which comes back to limbic capitalism because it is taking accountability yeah it's sitting down with someone else and saying I did this yeah and I acknowledge that that's not cool yeah and then there's something about also then being like being forgiven and someone saying got it that's okay this yep. is what you're going to do about it yeah and okay it on the face of it it might seem like saying i don't know what it is 20 hail marys yeah. um might not be of much co- consequence but that is that person's opportunity to sit with the beads yes. and think about it
0: yeah yes yes and it, and it is interesting i mean i am I, um, I, I find a lot of the things that i come across in a sort of slightly new age way um I was thinking about this the other day uh, because I'd been listening to a couple of people talking about the Mother Goddess. Yes. And um, I, I, um, I was humming my, to myself the songs that I we used to sing to Our Lady, Queen of the May. Right. If she ain't the Mother Goddess. And I was thinking, how strange, how strange I was thinking. You're going around picking up tiny little scraps of Mother Goddess here. Yeah. And trying to cobble them together. When there's an Almighty Mother Goddess available down the road, which you've chosen to say isn't isn't suitable, but that that's this is this isn't really quite. I mean, we we but but one of the things I do think that I suppose in terms of the Reformation, and um, this is where I, I'm I'm you know I'm very interested in the in the idea of of, of what happened then, but. I was describing this to a a friend of mine the other day, and she was talking about the rude screens in a couple of churches that she'd been to visit. And I said, yeah, remember that you could own nothing and still appreciate the word of God portrayed in that rude screen.
1: Yeah.
0: A Bible cost a poor man's wages for a year. Yeah, So what you did was you made religion a consumer commodity a, a, a stained glass window, yes, it may be built by the Lord Blank, but he can't stop anyone looking at it. Yeah, sure. And 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 I I think you know they're not those nineteenth century economists who said that capitalism was a pro a pro, a product of Protestantism weren't entirely wrong, because I would argue that a Bible in your own language is the first consumer good, and yeah. you can only get saved if you've got a Bible. Yeah, and you can only have a Bible if you're earning a certain amount of money. So by God, you're going to work to get that Bible. Sure. Whereas one in seven working days in medieval Britain was a holiday. Yeah. So it's like, oh, come on, it's uh, it's St. Swithins today. Um, I'll see you see you in the pub for St. Swithins. Yeah, and then we'll go off. You know, do a couple of days' work back here for St. Catherine's. You know, and isn't it Peter and Paul at the end of the month? You know, so right. so so basically, you've got to kind of slack a thing where you don't have to own anything. Obviously, if you can, you can pay for masses or whatever. But yeah. also, but also, you can just do not very much, and you can still have beautiful bits of cathedral. Yeah, you get can still have like, beautiful
1: things. I, I think that the, the counter that I'd have to that is, that I, I do think it's important for people to understand what they're being asked to believe. True. I, yeah. I think that's important, and then. Yeah that personal choice and buy-in and how you receive something is important I I do it's complicated it's complicated because I I, I do see completely what you're saying and I I do understand that as as, yeah making the bible into a consumable but it also I'm not also opposed to in a way that move of taking a bit of religion away from the church, because I also wonder why the house of God needs to be covered in gold. Um, well, um, I suppose the argument is you you should not
0: cover it in gold and not give the money to the poor. Yes. The ideal thing is you should do both. Yeah. So, but anyway, listen, listen, you were gonna talk about lying.
1: Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm gonna go talk on. about lying. Yeah. Because I'm um so There's some background to this, as there usually is to the points that I make. So I I was casting around for a thing that I could have learned. But because of how busy it's been with this great, big, horrible project, Mm. I haven't interacted with the world again. But we've been working for a lot of days straight. So this is to do with some behavior that's occurred around this project, which is consistent. Mm. uh, And I've observed it a lot over the last few days. So I am a project manager. Mm. So I deal with people largely in situations where they're extremely stressed. Right. Because projects have budgets, they have timelines, mm. they have deliverables. Mm. At the end, everyone is going to scrutinise what you've done and potentially mm. kick the hell out of it if yeah. they don't like it. Mm. And as much as I think often people's jobs aren't on the line, if things aren't going well it can feel like they are yeah so and there's lots of deadlines and you get you know projects bring with them an enormous potential for the unknown Mm. and things that go wrong yeah something always goes you can have every mitigation you could Mm -hmm. have governance it up to its eyeballs yeah something in the code on go live day will mess up it is (laughs) yeah it is um and, and therefore, that, that breeds behaviour that people, you know, maybe wouldn't display. Of course, you just get some malicious actors in the world. You yep. do. Um, I think most people don't fall into that category. So there was a situation with this project where a change to the functionality was requested. Yep. Because the change is quite urgent, it was presented to us as something that was broken and that we needed to fix. We've got right. deadlines to fix broken stuff, Yeah. contractual, whatever. And it wasn't, and we had the requirement and we had the documentation. Because of the urgency of this and the stress that that was causing on that side, Mm -hmm. the person that I presented the evidence to completely doubled down in the face of the evidence and maintained the lie that this was a bug, that this functionality hadn't been requested, that we'd built it wrong, and that we must fix it within our contractual SLAs. Now, I wasn't saying I wouldn't help. No. I was just stating that this is the nature of this and this is how we're going to have to deal yeah. with it. If a person has begun to believe the lie, yes, is it still untrue? Who decides what the truth is?
0: Ah, oh, well, listen, this is the most important political question that we face today. Because when Meghan Markle says that she was married, by the Archbishop of Canterbury in a private ceremony, she's just factually wrong, right? Yeah. And I believe that we've created the society that we have, up to and including Limbic Capitalism and Chartres Cathedral, right? all of that has been created by sharing a certain level of provable information right and i think it's not at all difficult to convince yourself that a lie is true no well we know it's not we, we you know uh, but if it reg- if it relates to ascertainable facts and it's not an opinion everyone's entitled to their own opinion but everyone is not entitled to their own reality that's my right
1: okay got it
0: that makes sense does make make sense but one of the and this is one of the reasons why i think it's very important um not to allow things you believe to be totally untrue to be unchallenged right yeah in and i don't mean this by being rude to people or certainly in political arguments trying to shut people down But if people said to me, um, one of the problems uh, that we're facing now we've left the EU is we can no longer access the rainforests in the Northern Netherlands, right? And I will say there are no rainforests in the Northern Netherlands. Now, I think I can't carry on that discussion if that person believes that, you know. Where's the burden of proof? Well. The, bur- well, the burden of proof
1: arises when you've
0: got more than one theory,
1: doesn't it? But then you do, don't you? So your your theory there is, but there aren't any rainforests in the Netherlands. Yeah. And if they the, the other person then goes, prove it. Well, I would say, I've been there. Have you? Well, I know. The- well, this is the wildest
0: story. So then you're lying. But are you lying
1: for a good reason?
0: Yeah. Um, but they could say, you've been to somewhere that had a... A label on it saying Chronigan or Levada you sure. assumed that they were Cornigan sure. and they might have been somewhere completely different. Oh you've
1: got people that'll swear up and down that the, the earth is flat so yeah
0: but but that. but um yes you can get into the wilder shores of logic and that's possibly what happens sometimes in when you're trying to philosophize which is why I never do because I can't do it makes my head hurt but also there's an there's an argument about functionality and and shared truth, because if you've got 500 people working in a factory making semiconductors, and 498 of them believe that they should be made in a certain way, sure. and two people think they should be made with butter icing, then we're going to have to go with the non butter icing <laughs> semiconductors. Yeah. Otherwise, we can't move on. And in a way, that's exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about. And
1: it's moving on, isn't it? It's it's the moving on part. So I wanted the truth out of this person in order to move on because we needed to conclude the situation. Why do you think that in some situations people will double down to their story rather than saying, OK, yeah, fair enough? Because the resolution that way would have been quicker as well. So it served everyone's purpose for the truth to be told. Yeah. But that's not what this person did.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask a question that you may not be prepared to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Was what was the 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 the, the gender of this person female? Right. What was their position in their structure? Because were they they are the were,
1: equivalent of me, on right? The other
0: side. So, okay, that's important. So we haven't got a we haven't got a difference of gender. We haven't got a difference of power. Um.
1: Do we're th- both really scrappy as well. I've had to be told to calm down twice with her. In the- so we do clash as personalities but, we haven't got on.
0: Do you think that um, the other thing, the other thing is, um, you know, one of the reasons we said we were going to do this podcast is to talk about the things that we've learned about. And um, I'm feeling quite different about Catherine Howard. Yeah. Having learned some more facts. Right. So yeah. I I'm, I'm constantly rearranging my mental furniture when I h- gather new information and I think that that is a sign of strength not weakness. Yes. That's certainly what I was my my, my my interestingly enough when I was a child uh in a time when there was a lot of deference to parents um some of my friends' parents used to bullshit them. So I would say, Dad, when did Ankara become the capital of Turkey? And my father, rather than saying, which a lot of my friends' fathers would say, 1928, right, regardless of when it was, yeah? Yeah. My father would say, I don't know, let's look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of people retain the uh, idea, like the bullshitting parent, so so the bullshitting parent would say, "If I admit to my daughter Beth that I don't know absolutely everything, she will lose all respect for me, and right, have no the power dynamic will have gone. Yeah. Now, if someone if you explain to somebody why the information they have is not correct in a work situation, they could either admit that this was wrong and move forward, or they could try and dig their heels in where
1: they are. Yeah, which is what happened. And I think there's there's a a certain type of personality that will go for arse-covering over progress. Yeah. And that it's just important to be right as opposed to getting over it, which no one would remember because, I mean, logically – it's been a long project. It's been about four years. So, mm. for a person to have remembered every single change and every single requirement yes. is impossible. Yes, and unreasonable. Yes. So, to have forgotten that that was requested is fine. I, but, but,
0: but, so, but, my point is that in order to adapt, we have to be confident enough. We and I to... think that's it. Yeah, I, I think
1: that's. I think a lot of the time where you get aggressive behavior and bad behavior, it's actually people are frightened. Yes, and maybe they can't verbalize what of.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And they're, yes. all, and they're also conservative with a small c in the sense that they say, I know I can operate on this ground. Yes. I've, I've proven to myself. This is my power spot. Yes. And if I moved on to another ground, would I be able to operate there or not? And I don't know. And if I have... If I don't have enough knowledge of myself to be confident that I can do that, then I'm going to say this is the only place in which I feel safe to operate.
1: I think you've hit on something really important. So we could say that lying can be a form of self-defence. Yes. And preservation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and also the, ex- the expression – the truth will set you free is only a cliche because it's actually true but not everyone wants to be free because if you're set free into a place where you've got to have a different set of relationships with people where you've got to be more open
1: so i had a good quote about this and i think you're right because yeah the truth can set you free but freedom isn't always pleasant no exactly this is actually a Shia LaBeouf quote from a podcast that he was on he said if I if I stripped you naked and threw you into the Atlantic you'd be free but you wouldn't enjoy it yeah yeah and I, and I thought oh, that's, yeah, okay that's that's a
0: that's a bit like uh, um I don't know one has to be careful because even mentioning the man means that some people will just shut 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 down but I heard a quote on an advert the other day Jordan Peterson talking yeah. about the book of Exodus and sure. he said, you can't live the lie. The truth will call you, even if you end up in the desert. And Yeah, no, I look, and I, look I, and I think
1: Jordan Peterson is a twat, but that doesn't mean he's wrong about everything. No,
0: no, but that's exactly the same as the Shiloh LaBeouf thing about truth. Yeah. You may not want to look at the truth. Yeah, and, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And it certainly doesn't mean it isn't the truth. Hmm. But but one of the things about that, I think, that make it difficult to manage, especially in a work situation, is if you assume that people will normally be telling the truth and that's your way of operating, which it has to be because we can't manage otherwise. Well, you're,
1: you just be constantly suspicious. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And um, then you are you're unable to build up any battle practice really about how to deal with that. It's it's quite a, and I don't say it's, it's incredibly unusual, but it's fairly unusual when you've got a situation where two people in a work situation,
1: one is telling the truth and the other is telling something they know is a lie. Yes, yeah. and this was what struck me about the situation was the fact that the evidence had been presented and yeah. was still doubled down on. Yeah. Because it's one thing if, you know, before I've supplied whatever proof that I had to send off, yeah. It's us go, no, no, no. And then you read it and go, oh, damn. Yeah. But that didn't happen. It was like, no, we're sticking to this. This is the narrative. And this is how I'm going to get through this. And I think that in corporate life, I see a great many people who behave badly who haven't been checked. Yeah. Yes. And, and actually, it's, it's, it's interesting that when they do get checked, the result is escalation. Mm as opposed to going, oh, yeah, I, I probably didn't need that smack, to be honest.
0: But do you think that's because of
1: what they perceive strength to be? And that strength... Maybe. Is... I, I think that there's... Um, some people just don't have a, a whole bunch of empathy. There's a lot of people walking around that don't know how to get on with other people, do not know how to get the best out of people. No. And seem to think that browbeating is, is how you get your way. And, and I've just found that to not be remotely true. I found that in order to get the best out of people... Obviously, being nice to them is generally the best way forward and yeah. you get a lot more that way. Of course, there's always a bad apple. Sometimes that doesn't yeah. work. Um, but it's important, I think, to have personal accountability for your own actions and who you are in the workplace. And it's yes. a bit like I think this was episode two or something where, I, you know, I said that one of my aims for my career is that no one is going to need to go on a voyage of forgiveness to get over me. no. Or no. dealing with me, or, or remember yeah. me as like, oh god, that was a negative presence, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, remember that project. What a piece of work. Which is what gets said about this individual, mm. who is a hugely negative actor, and it makes people feel all sorts of terrible things. And um, seems to be in this is this space where she thinks that that's the right way to go. And in 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 a way, that's incredibly sad.
0: It's also, I don't think it is particularly good business. I mean, I had had um, uh, an instance recently where um, uh, I threw a lot of time and effort into a a project. And uh, when I delivered my invoice, they said, actually, no, you worked more than that. And I, I was quite pleased. Because I, I I realized that they realized I had worked more than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I wasn't going to go off my quote because you know that's not how I would go. There's
1: honour there's there's there. I've said yeah. this much.
0: It's so that this much. much. It'll be. And yeah, got when, it. And I was delighted when when uh, they said actually we think what you've done you know we need to put you did extra stuff and we want that yeah. to be rewarded. But what was interesting about it was that I, both of us in this instance, were looking to future business relationships. Sure, because they said to me, "We don't want you to feel you were ripped off by us," and I don't want them to feel I was ripped off by.
1: But you, you'd I'm, be more likely to
0: help them out now, in the exactly. Future, wouldn't you? Exactly, it, yeah. exactly. And um, I think that we, I don't think that we talk enough about the real. Um, useful um aspects of ethical behavior in the workplace
1: absolutely yeah and and the effect that that has and and the impact on well-being yeah um and the efforts that that people will go to so so for this particular project I'd set up for the internal team a banter channel yeah somewhere to blow off steam somewhere to kick off Mm. just have a laugh post some memes joke around um and more than one person who worked on it said that kept me sane. Yeah. That's how I carried on. That that channel was how I didn't have a breakdown. Yeah. And so yeah, that I think it's not difficult to behave ethically and provide things for people. But then the flip side of what you just said, you know, that, that person that you did the work for who then said, Oh no, we owe you more money than that, you'd be more likely to help them out. Yeah. I'm now less likely to help out this person. Yes, exactly. Who in the process of their lie has accused yeah. me of lying. Yeah. And fostered no goodwill whatsoever. Yeah, you know, ab- absolutely. Well, and getting back to your banter channel,
0: I used to be in a situation where I had to chair some extremely long meetings. I mean, it would be nothing for them to be four-hour meetings. Right. And um the, Exhausting. Yeah. The aspects of... the Some aspects of the meeting were non-controversial and others were... Um, well, there were a lot of dependencies. The, the the complex project aspect of it, you know what it's like. There's a lot of dependencies. Right. And um, one of the things I used to do was I used to script jokes for myself before the sessions. Well, wow. and some of them were, I have to say, absolutely fantastic jokes. Yeah, I bet. Um, I would five minutes in, we would have the first good laugh. And everybody had to laugh. They were, And um, when I knew the group of people, it was better. I could I could tailor the jokes. So we'd have yeah. maybe four jokes in a yeah. four-hour meeting. And they were deployed strategically at moments when, for example, everyone was exhausted or people were stuck in a discussion about yeah. an aspect of a project which was just become circular and no one was giving any ground. And yeah. so I would then make everybody laugh um people would use this as an opportunity to go to the loo and we'd come back in and, and, and we'd we'd get on with it again. And and I um I'm I think humor is one of those aspects. Well being human actually is what is is one of the aspects that people forget about these yeah
1: absolutely and there's this pervading view that I think that you can't bring your personality and and pop culture into the workplace effectively and I've just not found that to be true so you know something I tend to do at the start of meetings if it's a recurring meeting like governance calls for example Mm -hmm. which have it you know can be incredibly dry yeah if you don't inject them with something yeah well, I started with previously on project, because that's a TV format. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. People yeah. are used
1: to say previously on Hannibal, you yeah, know, and then yeah. you just give your bullet, and it makes people go, ha! Yes. And then they can tie it into something that they like and that they recognise. Uh, you, you can see it change a room so incredibly quickly. And, and, and I think
0: um, aspects of presentation are so important because um, – Fun enough, I was talking to a friend this evening about her success as coming second in the, in the county dairy stock judging competition, right? Yeah. And um, she was saying, she she, she learned up a bit about dairy cows, but she also presented it well. And because people are not generally taught how to present, lots of the time people in a work situation, let's say in a meeting, they don't try and engage the room.
1: Yeah,
0: And I know my father used to say this. You need to fix the volatile attention. This was his thing that you have to do. Yeah, Whenever you're telling people anything, you have to fix the volatile attention so that they're not thinking about what they're having for supper, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah. you can only do that by deploying the tools that you have
1: naturally within you and honing them yes. a bit.
0: That's that's, but but you have it's to empathy as
1: well, isn't it? And thinking like, how would I want to be presented to?
0: Yes, what yes. would be
1: effective? You know, how yeah. how would this message land well with me?
0: Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things that is ineffective about lots of business education is, you know, you get some grey guy in a grey suit saying these are these are the tips that worked for me. You know, I'm sure they did. Tim, knock yourself out. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, all, all that you know. Oh, never accept a meeting that hasn't got an agenda. And it's like, okay, I get that, but I don't issue agendas for seventy percent of my meetings, and everyone always turns up because they know it's not for no reason. They know it's not going to be dull.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, th- look, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everyone's been in a meeting where there's a snake who intends to explode a bombshell yep. in any of business. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And um you know, there are ways around managing that, but but um these are these are the rules that need to be the rules for the organization that you're working in. And how different do you find a face-to-face meeting is from
1: a uh a, a virtual meeting? These days I don't. No. Um I think though because because my life is meetings, I've had such an opportunity to hone the skill. Yeah. And to learn how to bring people along. Yeah. That I don't register any difference whatsoever. Mm. Um people who think that online meetings aren't as effective aren't doing them quite right. Yeah, I would say and, that. And maybe don't know how to speak to people. And that's probably mm. true of in life as well, but they're used to being an in life situation, so it just yes. feels different. Um, you can build relationships online in virtual meetings absolutely as effectively as you can the room I've built phenomenal working relationships with people I've never met yeah people that I love you know internally but also customers you know it's and it's such a warm thing and we're still in touch and we've never been in the same room as each other yeah so that that depends on that person's conduct for me it's a red flag if -hmm. someone says well it's not the same as face to face I think I can't trust you it's interesting it's a yeah. real it's a real thing for me I'm like ah, you're missing something or you're not transparent because if you feel like you've got to be in the room with me to razzle dazzle me then
0: yeah that's a really interesting thing, deal yeah.
1: you know so it puts me on a back foot but then I'm of a generation that's kind of used to tech as well so and I get to practice this and do it all the time
0: and and I'm going to say something you may not be happy with me saying but I'm going to say it anyway Go for it. um I would say that what my experience slightly is that um, being online flattens slightly um, my experience in terms of engaging with people. You're quite a large personality anyway, <laughs> so you're going to reach out through that screen and grab yeah. them, yeah. And you know, I think it works the same for me. But I, but I but I know that I think there are. I think there are different types of personality which maybe rely more on um nonverbal cues potentially. I okay. can even though you get that you get those in a you know, you get those in an online meeting as well, don't you? Unless
1: people are off camera, but then you get the audio cues as well. You I mean yeah. you can tell from someone's voice how they respond the silences. Yeah. Whether there's hesitation there. Yes.
0: Yes, you can. You can. You can. You can. And in some ways, in some ways. Um, I always think it's quite funny um, because some people, of course, don't use a background.
1: You know no. that they, they
0: use their ordinary home. I use. I, a... I
1: don't use a background. I've just got this white wall. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and I have to say, my experience has been very slightly that people who use a, like an artificial background. Um, I think it's a bit like going to elocution lessons. I think it's a way of pretending you're someone that you're not. Because <laughs> I, you know, my house is an absolute tip at the moment. I haven't done a proper load of washing up for it seems like about six months. Isn't true, but certainly a couple of
1: days. I know what I know the state that you're talking about. And,
0: um, but I also do love my house, and I think my house. Crucially, I think if you knew me. And you knew my house, you would think, yes, these two things go together. Yes, yeah.
1: yeah? I, I think it can depend on the situations as well. I mean, for some people working from home, if they're in house shares, for example, yeah. might have to work from a bedroom. Yes. Uh, yeah. you might not want Sven from accounts looking no. at your sheets or something. And I, you know, I understand that. I do know one person who has a very elaborate setup with like a green screen behind them and everything. And I always uh, there's something in me that goes, oh, get out. But then it's like, no, they're just being a professional and I should just stop.
0: <laughs> well, you see, my assumption, being general... my assumption would be if it's getting as elaborate as that, are you doing pornos the rest of the time? That would sort of be my assumption. Maybe. So, you know. But who are and, we to judge? And good luck to you if you are. But it's just, but I suppose what I, I suppose what I've detected, and this is me being, being uh, say, a little bit on the bitchy side, but, People who like to pretend that they live in a stately home with pillars out the front. Sure. But you know they live in a perfectly nice house and a perfectly nice place, but it's not got no pillars. Yeah? yeah. They are very keen on on making sure that you can't even get a glimpse into their house um, uh, and, and, and actually can sometimes be almost a bit panicky. I've noticed people being slightly panicky about it. Whereas other people, you know, simply because there's less um, inconsistency between the image they project
1: and the place they live. Yeah. Yeah, I I think there is something probably, I mean, people's situation is one thing. Yeah. I think there is definitely something about how comfortable someone is with themselves. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you can reach over more,
0: perhaps, if you are comfortable with yourself.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. If you're open and transparent. No, I think openness and transparency is key. It doesn't mean that you have to put every aspect of your personality out no. on the line for people to look at or that they even have to be- know about you particularly. But just being open in your affect yeah, and a lack of pretense...
0: Well, but this, this is my point, my whole point about um, liking people who are like a stick of rock and that you break them anyway through and it's got the same letters all the way through. So you see, you see somebody in different circumstances, and obviously they present different aspects of their character. But to me, the sort of people I like are people who are, who, well, who the main driving, I suppose, um, constituents of their character would be the same wherever you meet them. So yeah. you could meet them in a meeting and then the next thing you do is you run into them um uh you know in the queue for the ladies in a pub. And right. they're still the same sort
1: of pub. Right, right. right. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Because 'Cause I'm Aidy Rose, right? Yeah. Yeah. However you encounter me. Yes, exactly. 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 But exactly. yeah, and my, my ex boss, the one off of was that episode one, can't remember anyway, early doors. Yeah. Wasn't that way. No. And had like a work self and a yeah. Personal self and, and really couldn't sort of tolerate amongst the team any sharing or interpersonal mm. conversations. That way, if we were on a team meeting, started having a bit of a laugh, it gets shut down really quickly. Mm. Whereas I think someone that's comfortable with themselves and being transparent would acknowledge that as a beneficial thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Team building. Yeah. It's one of the things that I there's a type of novel that I read a lot of but don't really like, and that seems to oh, get inconsistent. Yeah, it does. Um, and these are, these are novels of what I describe as rural miserabilist. and they're, they're novels. They're often set in Ireland, and they are people living lives of almost unimaginable suffering. You know, um, someone who says something like, ah, sure, she found a dock leaf that time, but she lost it. And that's no. that's absolutely typical of the sort of thing right in the yeah. books of rural miserableism and I read one of these books of rural miserableism, which was set in iceland and it was a very detailed description of Victorian Icelandic farming methods,
1: yeah
0: and talking about it with a friend, we've both read it. She's not quite so anti rural miserableism as I am, but we still both read the books and uh I was saying, yeah, my problem with this book, basically, is I don't think the person that wrote it had ever done any shearing or haymaking. Right. If you're working in a gang of people, which is exactly what you're saying now, and that's why I mention it, you cannot help developing some form of what is often called banter. You yeah, will. You, you, um, and something will, something will cause laughter. You'll have a laugh. You will. In the most mundane circumstances.
1: Yeah. Because you'll find an in-joke, there'll be references, there'll be tacit knowledge. I mean, I used to, I, I'm so old again, I, I,
0: we used to, in the back when I was a teenager, Um, everyone used to take in hay working on the neighbours' farms all together. And a gang of us younger ones found ourselves working on the farm of one of our, our bachelor neighbours. And he put loads of beer, we were sort of 14, 15, he put loads of beer in the freezer for us have it as you know refreshment but then of course the alcohol had turned into like a separate bit at the top and he went around opening all these cans of I can't remember cider or lager and drinking what was effectively kind of a vodka yeah and then he got very drunk and we thought it was the funniest thing yeah You know, it was such that for 10 years afterwards, we'd be saying, do you remember that haymaking
1: thing? Right, right, right. Someone will like fall off a cart or something and and it will just be that joke or yeah, that time that Barry put his overalls on backwards. I don't know. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah, like little uh, nicknames and just, yeah. Any
0: workplace generates that. And so that's whenever I read one of these rural, miserableness things, and it says that they all gather together for the shearing and um
1: everybody talked about sadness but it no, was a somber affair no it just it wouldn't. wouldn't have been even if it was pissing down with rain um because you will and and it's that that's important as well for the social cohesion of the group yeah but you will when you're doing a
0: task with people you will get a um you will get a a group dynamic uh of a humorous and light-hearted kind going almost automatically i think yeah, Unless, and and if someone's trying to suppress it, like the manager that you described, um, I would say they're trying to suppress something that's actually very human.
1: Well, and actually, it just makes it stronger, but it excludes you. Yeah. So as yeah. A, as opposed to then being part of the group
0: mm-hmm. and being a
1: leader, yeah, you're then just an out person. Yeah, and the group still has the banter, but the banter's probably about you.
0: Yeah, which isn't which great. is
1: not a beneficial place for a leader no. to be. No, definitely not. No, and it exactly. to get respect. Yeah.
0: So, so basically, you can't beat the banter. You may as well join it. You gotta join the banter. Absolutely. If, if
1: you're going to be taken seriously, you should yeah. join the banter and actually stir it up, and then people will do. People will bend over backwards for you. Yeah, it's how I get through life. Yeah, honestly. Yes get people on side and then just look after them and they sort of take care of the rest. Well in a way though in a way um,
0: I mean I think there's some evolutionary biology about this. I do love a bit of evolutionary biology. About our need to um, to story tell, sing and laugh and that that is said to be one of our most fundamental needs after food and shelter. Right, okay.
1: So go with that.
0: And if you um, fulfil, I mean, I know it's like, what's his name, Maslow, with his hierarchy of needs. He didn't put banter on that hierarchy, and that was a big mistake.
1: It was Maslow? a big mistake.
0: <laughs> I've got Maslow here. Hey, ma- hey, Mas, about your hierarchy of needs. But then yeah. he
1: was struggling to understand his hierarchy of needs, which is why he developed it. Which tells me that he was missing something. Exactly. So he didn't have the banter. He didn't I... have the banter because there's even banter. Right, <laughs> I've got to be careful about how I present this because yeah. it's. This is about the banter and not me saying that what happened was right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but there's a photo of um, prison workers at Auschwitz. Yeah. Nazis. Yeah. Posing for a group photo, mm. laughing, yeah. silly poses. So even in that place, which is a yes. place of abject horror uh, yeah. and, and the worst acts imaginable,
0: yeah. banter. Banter, yeah. And, and... I mean, it shouldn't have been there.
1: And I'm glad they all got shot, but Banzer.
0: <laughs> so here's a really interesting thing. Here's a very interesting thing, though. Maybe we're getting back slightly towards limbic capitalism. Yeah, maybe. Um, if you, in the books of rural miserableism, one of the things right. that they often talk about is they say things like, "It was wet. It was dark," and they talk about physical discomfort, right? Okay. And they don't talk about. Um, Some things like cheerfulness, right? Yeah. And so, those the sensation that you feel when you're wet is you're the only person who feels that wetness. Yeah. 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 It's raining. The only person who you care about getting wet is effectively you. However, if a gang of you are sitting around the fire telling stories, that's a collective thing. Yeah. So, maybe one of the things about those stories that doesn't ring true to me is that I'm recalling doing things collectively and the person who's writing these books saying everyone's gone to the shearing and they're miserable has never undertaken a collective task in a workplace, hence is a stranger to the banter, right? Right. And I'm saying, I think that when you, when you do things together, a natural form of, of of communication develops and
1: it's often very humorous. Yeah. I mean even to be honest, in truly miserable situations I find that the banter gets stronger. Oh absolutely. Because then you've got something to really laugh about. Um so I mean, yeah, I, I think that kind of miserabilism is probably a lack of acknowledgement as well of what misery can look like in a group. So so I remember the
0: night of my father's funeral father's funeral? Um uh the day of my father's funeral i was I was very emotional when I was reading this yeah, quite right, and um my brother Philip turned around and said, Whoever wants to open the bill next time we start with a juggler right, and I just thought
1: it was the funniest thing, yeah of I've course I heard have that outburst and, because yeah. humor is part of how we cope right uh, exactly, exactly. Exactly because I, I can remember working on yards and having to have horses put down. Yeah. And anyone that heard us would probably think we were being so crass, but yeah. it was a way of coping. Absolutely. That's the thing that was going to happen because you know otherwise what you just wallow in it, you lie down in the ditch, you never get back up again.
0: Yeah. But crucially, crucially, and this is this is oh god, another thing about about individual versus collective is you can't have Black humour on your own, you can't just think black humoured thoughts because that way they will feed into just ordinary black thoughts. Right. You have to turn your suffering into something which others can laugh at and share, and at that point, effectively, you're collectivising your pain in some senses. Aren't yes.
1: You? Yeah. 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 And is that something about breaking it down and to be manageable? Yes, because if you laugh at it and you pick it apart into those humorous bits, it's like it can't tower over you anymore. You've owned it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's something you're laughing about.
0: Exactly, exactly. But it's not just you that's laughing
1: at it. No, you've brought you're everyone laughing in at it with so your then it's like group ownership. Yeah, got it. Yeah.
0: So you sort of feel I'm facing this, but I'm facing this with um, I'm facing this with people with me. Yeah, I'm not alone. Hmm. Well on the That's fr- nearly an hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> on the on that bombshell note. We'd better button it, already. really, hadn't we? We had better call it a day. Well, um, thank
1: you very much for milling the air with me, ADM. Thank you. I loved every minute, as I always do. It's such yeah, a joy to talk to you. Yeah. Um I didn't check the email address this week, guilty, but please do email us at millingtheair at gmail.com. I will check it next week. Um yeah let us know your thoughts anything you would like us to mill open to suggestions and we will see you next week see you next week
0: thank you